Hello, John Howe. My good man, hello. So the first order of business is to have a wee shot of the 12-year-old McAllen to Scotland for almost not winning, but thank God they won. Here's to uh, the boys. Yes. Hoch die honey or something like that. Ooh, very nice. All right. Yes, the boys won, thank God. And um, very quickly, what's the situation? Can you put us, uh, can you give us a little update now? Who's won and what's the situation? I, mean, I think we're in a, a, a unique situation. Ireland is undefeated. I mean, we're four and zero. England is three and one. Scotland's three and one. Um, England's three and one, did I say? Scotland's three and one. Mm -hmm. And France could be three and one. So that would be three teams that are three and one, and one team that's four and nil. So you know, it, Ireland still has to play um, England and Scotland. So it could be a, it could be a really good Six Nations, and I'm I'm only suggesting France is three and one because they're playing Italy tomorrow. So yeah, I cannot imagine Italy beating France, but who knows? Well. God bless us all. All right, John Howe. Our first story today has to do with Tommaso. Okay. What about... You remember him. Tommaso Allen, the son yes. of uh, uh, the great John Allen, South Africa, and Scotland Hooker, his brother. He, much like our friend... Is retired. No, he hasn't retired. He's just taken a wee break. From, you know, That's what made, So I don't know if it was retirement. No, he's not permanent, perhaps. Well, yeah. he, he might be because he's 31 or so years old. Yeah. He wants a period of rest. He says he's had basically enough. Did the Italians do anything in the World Cup? No. No. So they were there, though. Barely. Barely. So he, he wants to take time away from international rugby. Again, what's happening that these guys... Wanting to take time again away from playing international rugby. I can understand Farrell because people hate Farrell, but nobody really hates Tommaso Allen. Tommaso Allen is sort of a itinerant player. You know, he's played for Harlequins, he's played for Italy. He qualifies because his mother is Italian and his father is a Scotsman. Uh, he's a pretty good player. He's not bad. He's not great by any stretch, but, you know, playing international rugby for any country, I think mostly it's demanding for your family. If you've got, you know, two or three kids, um, you don't want to spend a lot of time away from them. That's exactly what he says. He's had a very tiring year in which he spent months away from his family. It's and not I think easy it's to... It's different from uh, Farrell, perhaps, because, like I said, a lot of people aren't lukewarm about Owen Farrell. They don't like him. I like him, and I think you do. Yeah. For example, Janet does not like him. <laughs> well, yeah. uh, again, I, I, I'm finding it difficult. For, for God knows how many years there was international rugby, and now, because of all the changes, it seems to take such a toll. Farrell aside, because they they just that's just my him over the coals. No, it's the truth. They you know he, they were booing him and all this stuff. But but now you're finding you know 
And these guys are professionals, sadly. So it's like saying, I'm going to take time away from uh, going to my school because I'm tired. It's your freaking job now. You're getting paid to do this shit, and you're choosing to uh, not do it. But these guys are also playing, uh, I don't know how many caps Tommaso Allen has, but some of these players are playing 120 times for their country. I mean, back in our time, you were, if you played 25 times for your country, you were privileged. Now, 120 times and 150 times. I mean, how much of a toll does that take on your family? I would think it takes a lot. Hmm. Well, again, they ruined the beautiful game by making it this way, and now even the people who are playing it are finding themselves... I think you're right. Not particularly happy. I I don't think uh, that rugby is flourishing by any stretch of the imagination. Six Nations is an exception. It's interesting, I think, to watch the Six Nations. But like you said earlier, the difference between the Six Nations and the Southern Hemisphere, it's, it's more entertaining in the Southern Hemisphere. Today was interesting because, you know, if you're a fan of one country and it's a tight match, you get a certain amount of exhilaration by the... You know the closeness of it, and the idea that Scotland—if you—if if you're a Scotland man—wins uh, the Calcutta Cup. All right, John. Our second story involves a wee bit of an add-on to one of our stories earlier on, in which the gentleman who played today and scored a try for England, the Cardiff boy, mm-hmm. um, uh, now has appear, so to speak, in the name of Tane Basham. And he wants to leave Wales because there isn't enough money for him. They've uh, secured the deal with Aaron uh, Aaron Wainwright and Rio Dyer, and this gentleman, there's no money for him. So he's going to basically leave. He's going to leave Wales and um, well, let me add on to this. This is really the state of Wales. Yeah. Aaron Ray- Wainwright, I mean, he's at the end of his career or nearing the end of his career. And who cares? Rio Dyer isn't that good, so who cares? But they've got That's those guys, so therefore, they have no money for this guy. And this guy's much better than the two of them. It's uh, but Wales. Rugby has been in trouble for the last couple of years. And now the Six Nations, they've been slaughtered by today, by Ireland. I don't know what the score was, but a lot to a little. 30-something to 7. And at one time, Scotland was beating 26-0 at halftime. They came back, only because Scotland shot off one of its feet. And the game against uh, Ireland last week, I think that Ireland beat them. But, you know, it was closer than I would have thought. Was, did they play Ireland last week? Who? Wales. Or did they? No, Wales played them today, but the last week they played England, and it was kind of a yeah. a closer match than I would have thought. Close, yeah. And England's not that good. So you got two teams that aren't that good playing against one another. Including uh, our boys in Scotland. Um, so uh, my other point about this was... Wales can do better if they can keep their players. Why is it that they don't have any money? 
what, they have obviously less money than England. Surely they've got as much money as Scotland. It's a good point. I mean, nobody has as much money as England. Wales, it's, it's you know, soccer now, or football, has now advanced in popularity. So Welsh rugby is really, it sells out its, um, its Six Nations matches, and then they have a big test match against South Africa coming up. But I think that in the, they're playing in the, um, I think it's the United Rugby Competition, and uh, they're doing very poorly. Ospreys and Cardiff and, you know, whatever. Um, they, it's just not exciting to me, and I think many others follow me. I understand. Um, very good, John Howe. Our next story has to do with protecting our boys in rugby shirts. We now have a smart gum shield. I heard that. I don't know what it is. Okay. It is, my friend, a gum shield that contains within it a chip that records acceleration of forces that hitting basically your face. I'm going to quote, the gum shield, which contains a chip to record acceleration of forces, are being gradually rolled out in professional rugby. We had the head gear, which hasn't happened yet, even though we talked about it and one guy wore it or didn't wear it because someone stole it. But now we've got this smart, uh, smart mouth uh, uh, mouth guards that are going to be wor worn by players. Um, they've, they've done trials, and uh, they, I think all this does is just um, record what happens to people's heads with this in their mouth when they're being hit by shoulder, arm, leg, whatever. So it's just basically a data gathering thing. I mean, for me, I think it's just fucking unbelievable. It's just an example of how far down rugby has gone. The next thing they'll be doing is they'll have a athletic supporter with a, you know, a chip in it so that your <laughs> genitalia doesn't come into contact. I mean, it's it's a contact sport. Do they do it in American football? Do they put chips in your... No, they don't. Although there was a while, when, a time when they had some magnets to be placed in, in um, helmets, everyone's helmets. So as you were coming, in the, you know, having the polarity thing, so as two people were coming head to head, just a fraction of... of, of turning to one side or another because of the magnet's polarity mm -hmm. was going to affect um, rate of concussions. However, it never came to being because the amount of magnets you need in the guy's helmet to make that happen mm -hmm. was far too much and the helmets were going to be heavy. So the American football players didn't use that. But there was, I remember reading about that. But now we've got this. And who knows about the uh, scrum cap, uh, whether that's going to come back into play. But um, And they keep asking, why aren't people coming to watch rugby matches? The TMO is just another example of a chip 
just too much. <laughs> they do. Uh, they do acknowledge that this technology is still in its infancy. Yeah. Well, we played rugby for 100 years. We didn't need to worry about this. Don't they understand that? Because of what they've done to the game, they now need to do this? If we went back to just playing normal rugby, we wouldn't have to worry about um, scrum caps that, that have whatever in them and gum shields that are going to uh, record the amount of pressure or whatever that hits your head. I mean, you're absolutely right. For crying out loud. I mean, the worst part about it is, and I think one of the reasons is... As we can definitely attest to, the players are much bigger and much stronger today than when we played. You know, the best solution for all this is make it 80 minutes. You get two substitutions, and these big giants um, don't have to play 60 minutes because they can't last 60 minutes. So you get players on there that have to play 80 because many of these guys are 300 pounds, six foot six. It's crazy, absolutely crazy. John, the next story comes from your favorite team, South Africa, and my least favorite coach, Razzy Erasmus. Erasmus and Samson. Mm -hmm. They are getting ready. Get the wheels in motion. They've got their, uh, what they're calling an alignment camp. Mm -hmm. Springbok alignment camp in Cape Town. And away they go. Uh, all the people that are there, I'm sure you know about, all the players, um, they're good players, they're people that they're bringing up. Um, I, I can't really, the, all the normal guys are there, Eben, Etzebeth, and all of those guys, um, the backs, um, Libok is there, I kept, the people I look for, like my favorite fly half, he doesn't seem to be there. Jantis is he, there, but my man, who's my man again? Andre Pollard. Andre Pollard is He's playing there. in England, so he's not going to be there. There you go. Um, I don't think that Elton Jantis is uh, playing anymore. Maybe Herschel Jantis is. Uh, Herschel Jantis, yes, yeah, sorry. He's not a scrum half? Is that a fly half? No, he's a scrum half. Are they, are they related? No. Just happens to be a name, huh? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, let me correct you on one thing. South Africa is not my favorite team it, at all. Oh, really? I thought you liked them more. I used to like them 20 years ago, but no, I uh, I think, um, you know, but it's, it's probably because exactly as you've said, I no longer have a really favorite team because rugby, in my mind, has fallen into disfavor. So I'm just watching matches just out of um, a former passion by keeping track of one of my ex-wives. <laughs> so the boys, once they get their stuff together in this alignment camp, have two tests coming up, one against New Zealand and one home and one away against Argentina. Mm -hmm. What about them? Well, that's just what's coming up. I, I, the only one I knew about was uh, that was broadcasters are playing Wales sometime. Jesus, and that's you know it's, that's scary. They're, they're, they should put their baby box up against. But remember, Wales. you know everybody gives a lot of credit to South Africa, and it's true they deserve it. But 
They only beat Ireland, France, and New Zealand by a single point. I 100% agree with you. And it bothers me that this... Um, or England. That I, I believe this, the guy's a wee bit of a, a cheat. He, he was running around, giving water, going down there, you know. Ugh. Of course, because now it's professional, you know. I mean, I think you're right. You know, I, I don't consider him a cheat, but I think he's... He bends the rules in his favor a bit. There you go. But I, I mean, I'm kind of a Puritan, but I don't even think that... Uh, That's a nice way of saying he's uh, cheap. But I love the way you, you, you phrase it, which is better than me. All right, John, our next story happens to be about France. Can we agree that they're in a bit of a disarray? I think you're absolutely right. I don't know okay. why, but well, we're going to talk about that. They always um, need... They need a... Uh, uh, what is it? A guy who who they can pin it a on? A talisman. They need a talisman, and they don't have Antoine Dupont. Right, right. No, but right now, what they a fall guy? They need a fall guy for their problems, and they've chosen Sean Edwards. Sean Edwards' role questioned in France amid claims about relationship with coaches. <laughs> the Englishman has found his work come under increased scrutiny in recent weeks. Um, well, the rest of it would just be talking about, you know, he's become isolated from the rest of Fabian Galtier's coaching staff. They've conceded many tries. Well, here's what are your thoughts on, about that? Take on this. Yes. First of all, um, Sean Edwards, as good as he may or may not be, is a disagreeable type figure. He's not the sort of guy, otherwise he'd be a head coach. Because he was in, you know, Wales for a considerable amount of time, and he's been kind of itinerant uh, in terms of his rugby coaching. Uh, I don't think that he should be the fall guy. I mean, I prefer the fall guy being Fabian Galtier, but I think they also have the Rugby World Cup Blues, and the fact that they've lost Antoine Dupont gives them a little bit of concern in the leadership department. I think, although. I think they've got this guy, Charles Olivon, back to be the captain. This um, coming weekend. Yeah. Tomorrow. And I think uh, that should help them. Of course, they're playing Italy. and They're playing in what uh, is called the Garibaldi Cup. And, you know, it, it's, it, there's a lot of intensity in that. And I think that uh, it'll, be, it'll be weird if uh, Italy holds them tight, considering what, Eng what Italy has done in Ireland and elsewhere in the Six Nations. They're not. Tomorrow, France is going to run amok, I personally believe. I think you're right. Uh, but, uh, this guy, they continue to say that he is spending long hours on his own. But I don't even know what that means. You're either with the rest of the with the team and the rest of the coaches coaching, or you're by yourself. I don't understand how you could be spending a long, long hours on your own when you should be with other people. I don't understand that. I think I'll, I'll tell you what I think. First of all, Sean Edwards is in a foreign country trying to speak French. You know he's not going to be able to speak French. No. And all the coaches, and probably 75% of the players, don't speak English very well. So he has a communication problem to begin with. And obviously, when he's around, um, you know, foreign guys, he doesn't have the same 
uh, camaraderie. And he seems to be a bit of a prickly character I to begin so. with. I think so. Which you've pointed out. Well, God bless them all. I mean, he's another Festus character, isn't that the guy who... Uh, yes, they, Uncle they, Festus. And he was with... Uh, or Fester. Fester. Festus was in Gunsmoke. Yes. The same thing. Um, my second to last story, you already uh, alluded to earlier when you I and I were watching... When you and I were watching um, um, Scotland beat England, thank God. And it had to do with Eddie Jones. And you said, I'm sure you're going to be doing this. And, and of course I am. So what I'd like to do is actually play the clip for you. I'm laughing. I'm only laughing. I'm not laughing. This just enforces the fact that I think everybody should know that Eddie Jones is a bit of a fucking prick. And no, no I, I amend that. He is a prick. Um, it's hilarious that the head coach has to tell people to get... The guy is standing there waiting to take a kick. This is the coach. This is the head coach. Coach, right. But 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 whatever, the fly half, whoever the hell is kicking, is standing in the middle of the field waiting to kick. Isn't so part shouldn't of someone responsibility? else... responsibility? He should be designated at the beginning. Okay, um, Evie Benya, you're taking the tee out. <laughs> you know, I mean, all of a sudden he's asking, Sean Edwards, you take the tee out. That's yeah, crazy. Kills me. It kills me. Hilarious as it is, it as you're right, it, it points out, Although you did mention something earlier when we were watching sure. this, a little bit about his character and the quote-unquote dickish component of his character. I think he's disagreeable in a way that Sean Edwards isn't. Right. I think that he tries to control the situation, and if you get on his bad side, you get into disfavor, and he drops you or he does something mean to you. He's, he seems to be a very mean-spirited um, antagonizer of players and personnel and administration. Therefore, that translates to fucking prick of the first degree. Yeah. Does that answer your question? It does answer my question, and I wonder what's going to happen when he goes on where he is in, in, in Japan and how he's going to uh, translate this to the Japanese. He'll flourish in Japan. And I'll tell you why. First of all, he's half Japanese. So he's part of that fucking culture, and he understands that culture, and he's not going to be as prickish because he's going to be doing it in Japan, in Japanese, rather than English, where we'll all be able to hear what he's said. You know, it's going to be, and I think he'll have 50-50 results in Japan. They just don't have the players unless they import all these foreign players like some of our other well-known teams, and to enhance the side. And he's the type of guy who would do that. Hmm. I think. Well, he, he's going to be there and he's going to uh, put on his display of rugby acumen out there. And we hope that, uh, I mean, you know, I wish him well. I don't. You I, don't seem to mind him very much. No, I, you know, I thought he did badly. He, he, did, he did Australia wrong. England. <laughs> You know, that was something. But these guys, they in the middle of that whole thing, 
this Australia, he decided to interview or whatever, true, false. It's Again, rugby is the way it is because of what they did to it. Nobody in the middle of a fucking season would be talking to someone else unless it was a professional, disgusting, horrible thing that has become so they can make money. Or he can make money. Oh, he. Let me ask you one question. Of all the coaches you've read about or seen, has any coach in the history of rugby, 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 brought more attention to himself than Eddie Jones? No. He is. He is. He is. Probably that, uh, you know, uh, what do you call it? Um, Peacock, whatever, the guy who, you know, it's all about him. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, he, he, is, he is a wee bit of a peacock. And I, I think mean, he enjoys it. You know, he antagonizes the press. He creates scenes wherever he goes. He's, if he had a winning personality and he had a winning record, I still wouldn't like him. He, what I hated about him was when he threw uh, Farrell under the bus his own fly half, it was some conversation, and he said, you know, Farrell didn't play. He criticized his fly half in the press. Well, he also, now let me amend that to a bit. I don't know what he said about Farrell. I cannot remember that. But what he said about Michael Cooper, who's not, I'm not a great fan of, Quade Cooper, whom I do like, and one other guy, he, he said publicly, they don't represent the sort of role models for the Australian youth. I mean... Cooper is that? Totally does. He is working hard. He's the hardest working guy. That's ri- that's ridiculous. So I'm that's changing. horrible to say something about totally. a guy who you who <coughs> excuse you, me you think really devotes all of his time. Hooper's not was never, in my opinion, a great captain. Right. He's a very industrial play, industrious player, and to criticize him. And Quade Cooper is a little bit mercurial, but I like Quade Cooper. You know, he's um, he's done pretty well. And to say that they're not role models basically says that they're bad people. Don't you think? When they say they're not role models, there's something yeah. dishonest about them. Sure. And uh, what is, is he a role model? Exactly. I, I do not think so. Exactly. The last story has to do with one of our, um, uh, our not-so-regular listeners, but someone you and I both know and hold dear to our mm-hmm. hearts. Coach Marty, anybody, co- co- Coach Marty Klingelhofer, and I recall saying to you about the kid, the guy who is now helping them coach, and mm-hmm. you knew about the, him, etc. And his name is Joseba Inaki Basuria. Yeah, Basuri. Basuri. I remember uh, he's, uh, Inaki Basuri because I remember distinctly, you, you know, there's a lot of uh, uh, prestige to be a Basque player. And, you know, they have these ridiculous names. Imanol Harinoduki. You know, Inaki Basuri. It's a culture. He's, he's Mexican, that, you know. He's a, no, he's, he is Mexican because his parents are in the ambassadorial or diplomatic service. And he was born in Mexico or came from it. But well, I think his heritage is basically, if you take it back a generation or so, it's, it's not purely Mexican. It's you know, uh, Spanish from Spain. Or, got it. So... This gentleman spends one day a week helping the London School for Multi-Talented Boys play rugby. And uh, I asked Marty, what's happening with this guy? And he said that uh, he was talking to Marty. Marty was talking to him and he said, you know, 
I messed up my knee because of the line-out. They're hoisting people up in the air, and he came down wrong, and that was basically the end of his career. Could he have played longer, etc., perhaps? Uh, and Marty said, asked the question of us, uh, when did they decide to do the boosting in um, rugby? They're, they're picking players up. Well, it had to be when I was still coaching that illustrious team that I coached. Uh, the AU Eagles? Uh, yeah, the AU. The Eagles. Yeah. And of course, the, the precursors to the, the American Eagles. Exactly. Um, <laughs> they're their B-side. Uh, anyway, it was just coming into that fact. And I can't really remember when I was coaching, but it would be around 1995 when it started coming back, you know, lifting in the uh, line. So it was during the time when it was professional. Yeah. You know, don't quote me on that, but it was around that around time. Around that time. Was Am I correct in assuming that at some point they hoisted, then they decided not to, and then they went back to it? I don't remember that. Okay, I, I like to think I that think I... at the very beginning they were ambiguous about it. Yeah. And they did, hadn't really had a foundation for what you have to do because basically it can be very unsafe if you don't do it right. You know, someone jumps up, you lift them up. And the, the opposition yeah. does something, you can come tumbling down on your head. Which, which typically is the case. So then my, his question, and I'm going to agree with him, uh -huh. his comment was, why would you choose to do something that you penalized before? If there was any chance that someone picked someone up when we played rugby, it was a penalty. And now they've chosen to actually make that part of the game. Well, let me. I think I know the answer to this in my opinion. And that is when we were playing and... And this is worldwide. When they threw the ball in, it was kind of a clusterfuck. You know, you didn't know where the hell it was going. And which, which was lovely. It was okay with me. Yes. But what they wanted to do is try to think that they're going to attract more crowds by having a line out, giving the ball to somebody, and having that person be able to dictate the offensive uh, uh, sequence of play. And what it's done is just sort of turned into a nightmare because now you have this. You know, number the hooker throwing it in and then getting in the back of the lineup and they push through with this mall and the guy who caught the ball is, you know, all he has to do is drop down and put it and the guy's bind on him and then you drive back and these hookers score, you know, fifty percent of the tries in rugby. I mean it's just a, it's another absolute implement of your thinking that they fucked up the game. It's horrific. It, John Howe, it is horrific. Every component of this game now, whether it's coaches in the middle of a season, going off to someone else, whether it's now you need to figure out how much force is hitting your head with a gum shield, whether it's people saying, I've had enough of playing international rugby in the middle of the bloody season. What, what is it? And then I watched Scotland win today, thank God. But again, ah. You know, let me song. add something to that. What it has really done, in my mind, is it's made a, um, a lineup person who was pretty tall at six foot two or six foot three when we were playing. Now you have these guys who are six foot seven, six foot eight, who have the benefit of having two people lift them up much higher so they can catch the ball a lot easier than before. And there's no agility or mobility in them contesting the lineout. Because they're too bloody big, if it were the old days they threw the ball in, they'd be awkward. They'd sort of be like an ostrich in um, Bill McLaren's uh, hamster nest. 
I mean, I mean it's, it's just a, it just antagonizes me that the bigger and faster, the bigger and the slower, and the more powerful, the more Herculean these bodies are. 300-pound props. I mean, France is putting out a prop tomorrow, or I mean, a second row. Um, I think his name is Posolo Tuolagi, who's probably well over 300 pounds. And he's 19. Yeah, yeah. So by the time he's going to be 35, he's liable to be 400 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I noticed that. I was going to say, they've got that kid. <laughs> All right, John Howe. I, uh, again, would like to congratulate the Scots no, on their incredible win against the old enemy at Mar- BT, British Telecom Murrayfield. God damn it. Mm. And uh, wish them well, and I'm happy for them and for me and my friend Alfie, who's at the game. Um, yeah, Alfie, go yeah. for it. I mean, thinks yes. highly of you. Very. I don't, but he does. Of course he does. I do. Um, and um, I, I, we look forward to uh, watching the shite tomorrow, and then when, is next week going to be games? No. But we could do the podcast, because remember, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going for an operation March the 4th. I could do next week, but I'll but the, miss the, the next following week. Yeah, maybe you could call in from your, from your hospital bed because of your incredible, uh, what is it, the, the, your, your penchant for this game of rugby. Well, you know, I do have a penchant for it. <laughs> I wish I got a pension for it. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again, John Howe. And we we look forward to talking together next week. Absolutely. Good night, gentlemen. Bye-bye.